Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, Angry Planet listeners. Matthew here. Uh, some table setting for this one. We had the unfortunate uh, occurrence of losing uh, like two people that we had set to record this week. Uh, some scheduling stuff just didn't work out. While also getting to record a bonus for the subscribers. So we kind of don't have anything for the main feed. And then we have something that was explicitly promised as a bonus to the subscribers. So what you're about to hear is about like the first 10 minutes of that. Um, yeah, back in February, we had recorded an episode about the kind of the high altitude balloon panic uh, and the shooting down of those balloons. And some of the subscribers, they weren't super happy about it. Um, and they said that we were a bit condescending, which I think we were, and fair enough. Uh, and I promised a do-over, kind of both an episode about uh, UAPs, taking it a little bit more seriously, kind of digging into it, but also explaining why journalists are condescending on the topic and hate writing about it. And that is what this is. It's an episode with Kelsey Atherton. I've kind of excerpted a little chunk of it. Uh, where we're kind of talking about the issues of these. The whole thing runs about an hour long, and the beginning of it is the uh, is the immediate reaction to news that drones had hit the Kremlin, uh, which was incredibly wild and happened right as we were jumping onto the mic. And Kelsey knows a lot about drones and has been reporting on this kind of thing for a decade, so we had to get his reaction to it. Uh, but if you want to hear that piece of the conversation you do have to subscribe. Uh, go to angryplanetpod.com or angryplanet.substack.com. Uh, kick us $9 a month, and you get all access to all of our bonus content. There are also unknown unknowns, the ones we don't know we don't know. One day... All of the facts in about 30 years' time will be published. When genocide has been carried out in this country almost with impunity, and when it is near completion, people talk about intervention. You don't get freedom peacefully. Freedom is never uh, safeguarded peacefully. Anyone who is depriving you of freedom isn't deserving of, an, of a peaceful approach.
it's funny. I noticed something as I was kind of refreshing myself on this. Uh, something about this story, these high altitude balloons uh, or high altitude objects. We don't know if all of them were balloons. Fair, fair call listeners. Uh, that bef- like in the, in the year, the couple years before this, and I've certainly written a lot of these stories. We've covered a lot of these stories at motherboard. There was this kind of um, traffic fever around UAPs and a lot of this tiptoeing around them being UFOs or extraterrestrial in origin. And, you know, you've got Barack Obama going on uh, late night TV and saying, like, I'm not saying they're not UFOs or I'm not saying they're not aliens. Uh, Marco Rubio, very concerned about them being aliens. Um, something about this story, and I don't know if it's because it was as if suddenly we had like really concrete details about what some of these objects are that people are seeing um, really killed the momentum of that whole thing. Like it seems like the audience is not there as much for these stories. Cause there has been quite a bit of UAP news in the months after, right? There's been hearings and there's been more reports. Uh, there was a really wild uh, uh, report out of the, um, the AARO, which is like the the Pentagon's uh, all all an anomalous all domain research organization, I'm probably screwing that up, but it's the the people that are looking into this at an official level. Um, and it was a report that was written by uh, the its head uh, and a guy at Harvard that's actually really good at like studying, taking a really um, calculated and evidence-based approach to this kind of stuff while also not discounting the idea that there may be extraterrestrial involvement where they were talking about like mothership objects. It's a really fascinating report. Like, and it just just kind of seemed like all this stuff has now passed and that we're not, we're not really paying attention to it as much. What do you think happened here? uh, That we, it seems like the appetite has gone away. So, What has driven UFO and UAP coverage historically, and uh, my my profession is journalism, but my my way of approaching it is always amateur historian, or I get to use my job to bug the people who actually have dedicated their lives to this, and I have one really cool conversation and feel very smart about this, and they have like years and years of work toiling away, hoping that every journalist who talks to them doesn't mess it up, um, but. There's a whole, there's a lot of stuff that goes into a UFO panic. And I think in February, we really had the UFO panic. And then we kind of just had the, the explanations that uh, disseminated became boring enough that people kind of just let it pass and go away. Um, And one of the big things that makes such a panic work is when the military who has the sensors and the, the dedicated crude flying machines and radar and satellites and all that, when they are foremost saying, we don't know what's happening. Um, that was one of the things that made that February, because there was the, there was the first one, which was big and obvious and could be tracked and visible from the ground. Um, and we can trace uh, I, my last understanding of it. It's possible different information came is that it was a, observation balloon launched from China 
angled towards Guam that caught the jet stream funny, went through Canada, then back and went uh, and then into the United States. And um, it covered a bunch of sensitive U.S. military sites, which it has sensors to watch. That's what the point of putting something up there. If you're looking at Guam, you're going to have the kind of sensors that are also useful for looking at silos in Montana. But they covered military sites, and that's because the U.S. Um, is really remarkable at distributing military sites across the whole of the country. Um, it's not that it particularly chose a flight path to do that. It's just it's very hard to not do a flight path that hits at least a couple if you're covering several states. Um, and so that one had a big, obvious thing. And then there's the whole production of, well, we're going to wait until it's in the ocean to shoot it down. Um, and we're going to like scramble F-22s, good on them, finally doing the, the air defense mission they, they dreamed of um, shooting a balloon. Um, there's the selfie of the U-2 pilot um, with the balloon. Fantastic, wonderful. Um, that uh, circulated through classified channels. Um, leaked a little bit and then was uh, formally published with a photographer uncredited, um, which is always a fun fun choice. Um, it's the guy. It's the guy with the phone in the in the cockpit. We just but um, so there's that, and that one was spectacular. And then what really made it stick? It could have been the one thing, but part of the response to that balloon was NORAD. Toggled its sensors. They're like, okay, we could be looking for more things. What if there are more things? How did we miss something so big as a like jumbo jet sized cargo underneath a balloon? And you have to really learn to understand sensors or at least understand the limits and ranges of what sensors do. I'm not particularly physics minded, but I can at least understand toggling parameters. And if you have something that's designed to like NORAD, um, radars are to look for incoming missiles and bombers, then you're going to filter out by design all the other noise you could have of other objects in the sky. Um, because you don't want to be scrambling fighter jets to intercept flocks of geese or um, commercial airliners or anything else. You really want to know that you're looking at the thing you're supposed to be looking at. But when you have a panic, one of the things you can immediately do um, is like, oh, well, if we're missing things, we expand the parameters. And that's what they said they did. And then um, it turns out that for at least a decade, um, there's been a really thriving industry of uh, balloons that skirt by on FAA regulations of how you can launch them because they are lighter than air um, and can be big. And if you have aircraft regulations that hinge on the weight of an aircraft, you can then miss large balloons with sensors on them. And I'm saying, when I say large, these are large like party balloons. These are not large like China's balloon. And, um, and also the origin of a lot of these are like small hobbyist groups in the U.S. that are putting things up in the air for $20, $30. Because it's, because it's fun, because they want to track weather systems for all sorts of reasons, right? And this is something we learned, I think, after we recorded the episode, uh, that some of these hobbyist groups came out and they were like, Guys, I think the thing you shot down here, that may have been one of ours. We're sorry. I have to get the name of this because it's one of the best. Um, I think it's like the Northern Illinois Bottle Cap Balloon Brigade. Um, it's something like that. It's so... Yeah, one of my colleagues at uh, Vice interviewed them at length about what they were <laughs> doing. I'll, I'll pull it up. 
You still have colleagues? Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey now, come on. <laughs> She's still there, actually. Yeah, her, her and I, we're still there. Nice. So, but it's one of the things. It's a perfect little name. It's a perfect kind of like the sort of aviation enthusiast club you can imagine springing up after the first UFO panic, which was in 1947. Um, and just to to speed run that panic, um, there was a pilot we have um, post World War II, early Cold War. There's lots of fears. There's obviously the advent of nuclear weapons. The scale of what an unknown plane could mean goes from, oh, that's a bad day for like a city block to that's a bad day for a city, for a nation. Um, there's a lot of tension and energy in the air. There's this big new unleashed scientific expertise and knowledge. There's tons of pilots. There's tons of decommissioning pilots. Some guy flying in the Pacific Northwest spots something. He reports his flying saucers. Quite possibly clouds, quite possibly just seeing something. But the moment of the public was such they were unwilling to dismiss the pilot as having seen something that wasn't there. And his military experience and the things that sits off a whole flying saucer panic. It's happening at the exact same time that the Air Force is being spun off as separate from the Army. And it's happening at the same time that like the National Security Agency and all of everything that we can basically point to as the modern national security state gets set up, which is designed to simultaneously observe everything that could be a threat to the United States and to the U S interest abroad. And also to keep those observations internal until there's something they need to make public because there's a big, big tension between what the military can observe and what it can say in public. If it's trying to retain some advantage or some power of Secrecy. And so we get this huge UFO panic in that. That's when the Roswell thing happens, which is another balloon that got down. The guy saw it before the flying saucer panics. Like didn't make it anything of it. Goes back. This rancher goes back and picks it up, brings it to a sheriff office. And is like, ah, this is weird. The sheriff calls the army. The army, for some unknown reason, sends to the guy who's like, definitely a flying saucer. And the army has spent the rest of its existence arguing that guy was just going out in a limb. We don't know what was wrong with him. But even in the army's official explanation, there was a cover-up. Like it's a weather balloon. It was a balloon. It did carry sensors, as was declassified in the '90s. So if you're like somehow booking things out, look 30, 25, 30, 50 years from now, and you'll get some really great declassified reports on what just happened in February. Uh, but in the '90s, they declassified. It's like, oh, it was a balloon. 
the sensor it was carrying was acoustic sensors to listen for Soviet nuclear tests, which they felt comfortable talking about in the 90s, but did not feel comfortable talking about in 1947. And so you have this whole complex. This goes into a big UFO thing where the military knows a little and either obscures what it knows or doesn't feel comfortable saying the full truth um, or sometimes outright lies. Sometimes you just get an officer who's freelancing and lying. Sometimes you get official lies that are put out to distract people. And that means you get this recipe for UFO panic where people feel they are observing something. They are observing something. There's a sort of media climate around these observations. And any official rebuttal comes with doubt baked in. Uh, Project Blue Book, which is like the 1960s culmination of all this research, um, had to leave some of its reports as explained internally, but couldn't publish them as explained externally. Because it turns out when you ask the public to get really good at watching the sky, seeing something and saying something, they can start tracking on their own the internal flight paths of U.S. spy planes like U-2s and whatnot. Um, And they didn't want to go forth and say, oh, you're right. You figured it out. Um, It wasn't a UFO. It was actually just us doing something we don't want to tell you about. Doesn't it all sort of go back to the thing about apes that those of us who react quickly and overreact to things are the ones who survived and that they're the apes that we are descended from. I mean, you know what I mean? It's like you see something in the sky and you just react and overreact. And then, you know, put into that, the fact that you want to believe, you know, and all this stuff, it's a recipe for disaster. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's certainly a lot to that. And there's certainly um, the, 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 a false positive in the, in the tall grass is way less threatening than a false negative in the tall grass kind of thing. And that's kind of where we're at. And in theory, you would have, um, you could have institutions designed to mediate around this, except they're operating under similar logic. Um, One of the places um, that has done dogged reporting, and at least um, you can certainly go to them for a list of documented incidents of UAPs and UFOs over the past eight years or so um, is the war zone at the drive, which is part of time media is in a weird place, but if you look up war zone and you look up UAP, you'll find their stuff. Um, I think there's some reasonable dispute on the analysis of the object's origins, but their documentation of the objects is outstanding. Um, and they find there's all sorts of incidents that get reported or they get reported in like one air force base says like, Hey, we have these things or like a local paper will do it. And it doesn't become a bigger story. One of the tensions post-Project Blue Book is that the military decided it would be better. And this is like happening in late 60s. There's uh, turns out a ton of public feelings about government trust and secrecy happening all the time um, for a host of reasons. The military is like, we would rather, if our pilots see something, we'd rather them not talk to the public about it. And we would even eliminate an internal reporting process to have this on because we don't want to have a secret that could get foiled out of us. And we don't want to have people disbelieve our pilots. We want to maintain the trust and the integrity of the pilots. And what that's meant, and this has been a pushback really since um, the New York Times published uh, videos reportedly of UAPs um, in 2017. Um, It's wild that that was the year, but that's when it happened, um, is, well, there should be at least some mechanism for pilots to report, we don't know what we saw, but we saw something. Um, 
paired with that, and this is one of the big changes I think that separates this era from the past ones, is we have much better recording technology. We don't necessarily have technology for recording unknown things. It's hard to do. Um, in this. 50s, they asked Kodak if you could make a camera for UFOs, like what are the parameters of what we're looking for? Um, and they couldn't because it turns out you can't photograph what you don't know what you're looking for. But what you can do is you can have cameras already on planes, like targeting cameras, like designed to pick out the trajectories of missiles or track planes in flight so you can hit them with anti-air stuff, all of that. But they can also record video and that can be exported. And then you have human eyes assessing video without context, but at least understand this is a video recorded by a military sensor and you have to mediate all of that. Thanks for listening to another episode of Angry Planet. The show is produced with love by Matthew Galt and Jason Fields, with the assistance of Kevin Nadell. This is the place where we ask you for money. If you subscribe to us on substack.angryplanet.com, it means the world to us. The show, which we've been doing for more than seven years now, means the world to us, and we hope it means a lot to you. We're incredibly grateful to our subscribers. Please feel free to ask us questions, suggest show ideas, or just say hi. $9 a month may sound like a big ask, but it helps us to do the show on top of everything else that we do. We'd love to make Angry Planet a full-time gig and bring you a lot more content. If we get enough subscriptions, that's exactly what we'll do. But even if you don't subscribe... We're grateful that you listen. Many of you have been listening since the beginning, and seriously, that makes it worth doing the show. Thank you for listening, and look for another episode next week. Stay safe.